Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we're joined by Brian Hutton. In this candid conversation, Brian walks us through his 16-year journey with cancer. He shares his personal thoughts on the conventional ways of treating cancer and the alternative methods he's explored in his winning battle. Sit back and enjoy the show. So here we are. We got uh, your glass up there, my friend. Uh, cheers. Uh, cheers. Cheers. I believe you uh, You had said that you were drinking your filtered water. I did say that, yes. Um, I've been drinking filtered water uh, from, I, I buy it, of course, from the water shop. I pay my annual amount that they charge and I go get it. It's filtered, uh, everything taken out of it, uh, hopefully including fluoride and chlorine, which I do not believe in. Okay. And uh, I've been doing that uh, since shortly after my diagnosis, 15, 16 years ago. Okay. One of the, one of the holistic things I went to was a was a cleaner water preferably i want to hear more about that uh before we get into all of that i i do want to do a little bit of an intro and and first of all thank you very much for sitting down with me today thank you uh, pleasure we uh we met through a mutual friend yeah uh, so shout out to doug thank you very much for introducing us doug i have a yep. feeling he might be listening to this episode <laughs> uh, he probably will <laughs> <laughs> He's on his way to the uh, Azores shortly, so he might have to listen over there. But so yeah, I've I've already laid the groundwork for for getting over to the Azores, uh, ah. as I found out about that place recently. So yes, yes I've seen the photos; it looks awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the reason why was because in the, in the midst of a conversation that that Doug and I were having about uh, health and mainly focusing on uh, cancer. Uh, I had asked him if he would be interested in coming on the show because he had some interesting ideas and interesting thoughts. And that's what I'm all about. I'm just honest conversations, people that think differently and are not afraid to, to express their experiences. And he said that as much as he would love to be on the show, that you would be a, a perfect guest. <laughs> so which I think the weight of the world kind of rested on your shoulders at that point. In time. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I, everybody has a story. So, you know, it's nice of them to say that, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was kind of interesting because we got a chance to meet uh, a couple of weeks ago. We, we did an intro meeting so we could kind of see each other's faces. And in the midst of that conversation, um, it started to become clear to me why why Doug had suggested you because you had mentioned that your girlfriend has been after you for years uh, to write a book about your experience. Yeah, she's she's big on that. Uh, about three years that she's been pushing that, and I haven't even really I've thought about it, but it's not. I'm not a writer, so we'll we'll see. Totally fair. Yeah. You know, there's there's uh, plenty of people out there that might want to take up the mantle, and maybe through this we can get some ears involved and kind of get something going. Yeah, you never uh, know. You never know. With that being said, uh, I know a little bit about your story, but I'm sure the audience is curious to know, you know, why we're sitting down today. And I'm going to hand the floor over to you for a moment, <laughs> so you can let us know. But it basically does surround cancer and your diagnosis, which you alluded to at the beginning, and the measures that you have taken over the last 15, 16 years of you dealing with this catastrophic disease. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was very curious to know, you know, what you have found along the way and what's going on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the diagnosis and, uh, and then we could just go from there, just have a conversation. Okay. Okay, great. Well, I was, uh, I was diagnosed in July of 2005. Actually, it's an interesting story how it all started being a typical 
a middle-aged guy at the time, 45. Um, I was playing ball hockey on Saturdays with a bunch of friends, and we used to go in the afternoon, play for an hour, have a couple of beers, pizza, you know, the normal hockey stuff. Uh, and uh, I got hit in the eye with a hockey stick and required eight stitches. So um, I raced off to the hospital. This would be the end of March, got my eight stitches. And of course, to get the stitches out, I had to go see my family doctor who quickly reminded me that he hadn't seen me in 10 years and I should do a checkup. And through that checkup and the test results, blood tests, uh, my PSA came back high and I was referred to a specialist and, and in July was diagnosed officially with, uh, with prostate cancer. Um, July of 2005, I reluctantly had surgery. I didn't want surgery, but it's a, it's a lonely, road, uh, lonely road when you go against the, uh, against the norm. And uh, anyways, I had surgery in February of 2006. Seemed to go great at the time, um, but of course, the next blood test uh, revealed that there were still, still traces of cancer, which means it wasn't successful. PSAs went up regularly ever since that time with a few moments where it would go down. Um, exactly why, I'm not sure. Um, perhaps things I was doing, perhaps it just fluctuates a little bit. Um, hard to say, but uh, uh, that was offered radiation at that time. Um, I refused radiation, knowing that radiation does kill everything it strikes and hits. And I didn't want the serious side effects or what could be serious side effects of, of that. And I refused and went into a more of a holistic approach. And uh, I still am still cancer, still deemed terminal. But here I am walking around and, as I said earlier, a novice gardener and having fun and actually started playing a little bit of golf again badly, but at least so. <laughs> Uh, been a long road and a lot of events from then till now. So um, it's been interesting. I, I did fairly well for a number of years. I kept working and had a full-time job as a golf professional and kept working. And um, I kept, the doctors kept saying, you know, PSA is going up. Uh, it went up to eventually, I think it was 10,000, but I think they changed the parameters when they do the blood tests. And now I get greater than five, well, not now, but I was getting greater than 5,000 for a long, long time many, many years, uh, but I was walking around and feeling great. So uh, eventually though, I did start losing some weight and, and uh, my normal weight would be 150 to 155, not a, not a big guy, but uh, I was down to 135. So I quit my job uh, thinking, doctors are saying your time's limited. I thought I'll enjoy my life while I'm healthy and didn't appear like I was gonna have more than three or four years more, maybe five. Um, so I left January 1st, 2013 and enjoyed myself for three years, played lots of golf, traveled a little bit, started having pain in 2016 in my lower back and left hip and left leg, a lot of swelling. Um, I had tumors in my abdomen that were growing and pressing in an area that was affecting one of the, one of the blood vessels or veins. Anyway, I was getting a very, very big left leg at one point, could hardly get my shoe on. That was 2016. Uh, July of 2017, I got extremely painful where I could hardly walk. I started on the Gerson therapy, which some people may or may not have heard of. Dr. Max Gerson had a therapy that he developed 50, 60 years ago, maybe 80. Um, he's passed away many years ago, but uh, they, they still have a clinic in Mexico. I didn't go to the clinic, but I bought the books and watched the videos and tried to follow it as strictly as I could, but it's, it's a difficult therapy. I believe it's a very good therapy, but it's a difficult one to follow diet wise and a number of other things. 
Um, after a few months, I switched from that to another therapy, which they say you shouldn't do. You should stick to the same therapy. But I went to one called Budwig Select, which is a com- combination of a, uh, a diet that uh, Dr. Joanna Budwig came up with. Uh, she's a German doctor that actually got a Nobel Prize, I believe. It's a long story, but... <laughs> Uh, And and coupled with a product called Select, which was developed by a um, gentleman by the name of uh, Fred Eichhorn. Interesting, interesting story. He's got a few videos on YouTube and he he cured himself of pancreatic cancer over over 40 years ago using this Select product, which is a powdered product with a number of ingredients, uh, basically targeting micronutrients in your body. That's another therapy in itself, a micronutrient therapy that they're starting to look at, but uh, his his idea was uh, that cancer uh, isn't caused by it's not like the flu or a cold it's not contagious it's it's a, almost a metabolic your body just you know, everybody's body develops cancer cells normally our immune system gets rid of them something in our bodies doesn't allow that to happen so cancer cells grow and grow and grow he narrowed it down to micronutrients and so he did his own micronutrient blood test and he found out what micronutrients he was lacking of and he developed this product he bombarded his body with all of this nutrition and his cancer went away so it's a, it's a very interesting story yeah he actually started a, uh, a national institute of cancer i believe it is something like that um, i should have looked that up but uh, fred icorn the information is readily available to anybody that wants to look it's very interesting yeah, there is a ton of information out there, isn't there? Like that, uh, that people can have access to. Were you into holistic, holistic medic- medicine before your diagnosis? Like what led you down that path? Not at all. I was not at all. Okay. Not at all. I, uh, <clears throat> I had gotten into, and I can't say I was, I lived like, a, like what I would say most normal people. I, I was drinking more than I should. Uh, no question. I liked my beer. Uh, I don't drink anymore. Uh, like going out and watching the hockey games and having chicken wings and beer or pizza and, and, uh, just enjoying life. Like, like most of us do, or a lot of us and, and, uh, wasn't overly concerned with dietary issues. I ate what was there, ate what was available, lots of burgers, lots of pizzas, lots of submarine sandwiches, single guy. So I wasn't into cooking for myself too much. So it was a lot of restaurant food, um, gotten away from that, obviously for the most part. No more drinking, very light on animal protein. I do eat animal protein, but it's a, a small percentage of the diet, mostly fruits and vegetables. Um, lately, I've gotten away from the grains a little bit, but uh, I was heavy into the oatmeals and, and rice and stuff, but uh, mostly fruits and vegetables and now a little bit of animal protein thrown in, which, which seems to help with the muscles. And <laughs> I've got, Definitely. I got down to 110 pounds at one time, so I'm back up to 158 this morning, so... Oh, that's amazing. It is. That, it is. That's really good. I mean, putting on that weight uh, is is key. I know um, I'm type <clears> 1 <throat> diabetic. And before I got officially diagnosed, I had lost a ton of weight. Wow. And you just I was just burning it off, right. couldn't couldn't keep it on. So to put it back on is difficult, especially when you're dealing with something, you know, as elevated as what you're dealing with. Yes. Well, uh, I, I kind of glossed over. So so in 2000, 18, actually three years ago today, May the 17th of 2018, I couldn't get out of bed. Um, Actually, I couldn't get back in the bed after going to the bathroom. I had three pillows stacked on my bed and I was trying to sleep with my body draped over these these pillows with my feet on the floor. 
And uh, my girlfriend's, everybody thought I was crazy and they're probably right. But, but uh, I finally got to the point, the pain was so, so severe and I could barely get walk the 15 feet to the bathroom. So we called the emergency ambulance. I actually called my family doctor first and he felt like it was possible. I had a blood clot just from the things I was explaining to him. And I hadn't been moving for about six weeks. I was laying in bed pretty much at home for most of those six weeks. And so he said, call emergency, tell them you, you, you believe you have a blood clot and, and you'll, you'll get right in. And sure enough, uh, they came right away. They were terrific service in that regard. Into the emergency room, they checked immediately for blood clots. And, and I did have one in my left leg. Then they were going to send me home. And <laughs> we said to the doctor, you know, he, he can't walk. <laughs> He said, you're welcome to go home. Well, I said, well, and my, Lynn and we both said, well, he, I can't walk. And he said, oh, and we talked about the cancer issue. And, and so he said, oh, well, we better run some more tests and I'll get the administrating doctor to look at you later this evening. And uh, so that's what they did. They kept me in overnight, did, a, did a, a bunch of tests and I was in pretty bad shape. They said, there's all kinds of cancer in the bones, a number of spots on your spine, uh, your left leg and left hip are pretty much mush. That was a term I'll never forget, mush. <laughs> How do you even wrap your head around that when the doctor says your bones are like mush? Well, you cry. <laughs> oh, my God. You really don't. Uh, it's, it's really difficult and unfathomable, really. But, you know, the nurses were told not to touch my left leg because they might actually put their hands or fingers right through the bone. Um, because I couldn't walk, they actually looked at perhaps replacing the hip and he said, there's nothing to screw into. We, you know, we might be able to manufacture something. Um, and this was between the, the doctors at Joseph Branton Bronton and talking to his other colleagues at uh, the Jarovinsky center in Hamilton. He said, you know, we might be able to, to manufacture something, but it might work. It might not. We might get you from the bed to the chair and you might walk around the lake. We, we don't know. Uh, but he said, we also have to look at recovery time and the health of the patient. And, uh, you know, your prognosis is not good. Um, I had asked the doctor at the hospital at one time, I said, well, okay, tell me how long I have, just so I know. And she said, well, I don't think it's just days. Could be a, a few, a couple of weeks, perhaps months, not years. So we're three years ago today that, so it would have been a, probably, this is the 17th, probably the, around the 20th that she said that. And I was bound to determine that that wasn't going to be the case. So, you know, I, uh, I had Lynn coming in and I was trying to eat as best I could. Hospital food, as we all know, it's, it's almost ridiculous how bad it is when you're in there to try and better your health. But we were bringing in my own food and making my own shakes and protein shakes, not necessarily protein, uh, uh, nutritional shakes. They wanted to move me into palliative care at one point. I didn't want to go into palliative care. Even the nurses on the ward I was in said, you know, he's not palliative. He's quite clear thinking and awake and quite capable of reading books and having a good conversation. And, and he's not palliative, really, not yet. But they wanted to move me. They needed the beds, you know, and I was in the critical care ward. So they wanted the beds. And, and, and I said, no, 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 we're going to do something else. So, so I ended up moving into a Chartwell residence everybody knows is the senior homes, but they do respite care and people that are in transition. I was uh, destined to be going to Carpenter Hospice in Burlington here. That was one of the avenues they said, if you go to palliative care, that's not likely that you'll get to go to Carpenter Hospice. And when the end comes, if you go into another 
situation, it's more likely that you'll get accepted into Carpenter Hospice. So, so I paid the money. I went to Chartwell. It's quite expensive. Burned up a lot of savings in these years, but but that's okay. Um, I was at Chartwell for uh, four months and two weeks, and uh, five months to the day, October seventeenth, I walked out with a walker, but I walked out and and came home. Wow! So it was uh, it was interesting because the nurse came to interview me at the hospital. The nurse from Chartwell came to inter- interview me at the hospital, and I said, "I'm going to walk out of there." <laughs> she she looked at me quite disbelieving. She said, "Well, hey, that would be great." Lo and behold, there I was. A little bit of a struggle, but I had the walker and I and I and I, I walked out and and uh, now I'm great. Walk around. I'm not running and jumping, but I'm walking around and go for nice long walks, an hour and a half, no problem. Play golf. Not again, not well, but hopefully that's coming back as the strength builds up. It takes a long time to build up your strength again. So cancer's still there. I I, I did take um, in in the hospital uh, because I was in so much pain. My specialist, uh, urologist, uh, suggested I get on uh, hormone therapy, which is a therapy for prostate cancer that the medical profession uses. It's not a cure, but it can prolong life. Um, I had refused it earlier, again, regarding side effects, which I don't like, but, but at the time he said it's terrific for pain relief. He said, I don't think it'll do anything for you now in, in regard of prolonging life but it will be great for pain relief. I said, then give it to me. You know what, at this point, it doesn't matter. So uh, so I had my injection uh, early June of that year. And and obviously, in, I think in combination with the other things I was doing, it, it helped a great deal. My PSA went down to at one time 2.4, which is about normal for most normal men. Not if you've had surgery, it should be zeros, but quite remarkable to go from greater than 5,000 to 2.4. And uh, I haven't had a bone density lately, but they, it was improving. The COVID situation has kind of put that on hold. I may get one in the fall, but the last one would have been October 2019. And the bone, bones were improving. So that was a, that's a good sign. So here wow. we are, and I'm still plugging away and still, uh, still considered terminal, but I don't feel like it. Well, we've had two conversations now, and I would not have labeled you as somebody who is now terminal and somebody who had months to live three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, those are pretty remarkable steps that you've taken. I can see why Lynn would want you to write about this. Uh, and that's <laughs> no. just the synopsis. That's just the overview of the past 15, 16 years yes. to get you to this point in time. Now you were pretty staunchly against the idea of writing the book uh, simply because you, there's a lot of work left to be done. Your words Yes. Uh, when we spoke before, you don't feel that you're at that point just yet, which is uh, commendable for sure. But I mean, at what point in time do you take that opportunity or do you find yourself at all these days taking that opportunity to to really appreciate and marvel at what you have gone through to get to this point? I absolutely do. Um, I, I appreciate and marvel every day, to be honest. And today in particular, beautiful day, beautiful, sunny, warm day. And I'm out there playing in the garden, you know, and, uh, and uh, Lynn and I talked about it last night. You know, it's three years ago today. So it's a particularly good day to be grateful. That's amazing. And I'm actually glad that this recording just fell on this day. We, we didn't plan it. That no, way no it's, it's, it's true. And I didn't think about it either at the time. <laughs> That's that's outstanding. Hey, I'm I'm glad to be able to share a little bit yeah. in this uh, this anniversary. Thank uh, you. It's, it's an absolute honor. Let's yeah. take a step back for one second. I want to go back to the beginning. You got okay. the diagnosis. You had mentioned that 
you were offered uh, surgeries and, and treatments that you didn't want to take. So somebody who wasn't into holistic medicine at the time, why were you so staunchly against that at the beginning? Well, I, I think like all of us, um, I think, well, there's no doubt, everybody has been affected by cancer in some way, a family members, good friends. I've had a, a couple of family members, um, many good friends go the conventional route, and it rarely worked. Um, not to any degree. And if it did, it was, uh, life was a test afterwards. I always just felt, um, especially, I just felt there was a better way. I sat, I sat in the, in the office with my mother when she was diagnosed, she had, um, stomach cancer and she passed away. She was 78. And the doctor said, there's nothing we can do. You know, we can, we can try this chemotherapy. You might get another couple of months, but then quality of life is, something to think about. Um, and I just, I walked out and, you know, mom passed away and uh, it's, it's almost 20 years ago now, 19 years ago, but um, 20 actually. And I thought there's gotta be a better way. There has to be something we can do. So I start, when I was diagnosed, I started, I kind of forgot about it until I was diagnosed. Like a lot of us, we don't change until we have to. And, and I started searching and searching and searching and things just started showing up. And my first search brought up diet, uh, cruciferous vegetables, you know, I've said it since then, no doctor has ever told me to go home and eat broccoli. And that is uh, precisely what people diagnosed with cancer should first look at our lifestyle changes, in my opinion. I'm not a doctor, mm -hmm. so I'm not going to start preaching, but I, I would say if, if I was to start all over again, I would be staunchly, staunchly strict, 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 and do the best I could to live the cleanest life I could. You might not have as much fun, so to speak, but, it, it, you know, different things start to be more fun. Like I'm growing my own vegetables in my backyard. So that's good. That's fun. I was going to ask you what you were gardening back there. I didn't know if it was flowers <laughs> or if you had started a garden. So what are you planting back there? I have, uh, I have a couple of potatoes. Uh, I have a little patio. It's not very big. I live in a townhouse, so I only have a little patio. So uh, I started with containers last year. I was able to, to try, I tried potatoes, uh, didn't work as well, but I think this year will be a little bit better, but mostly lots of peppers, bell peppers, jalapeno peppers. Uh, this year I am going to try broccoli, squash, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. I've got some kale, going to be quite a, quite a jungle back there, but lots of lettuces because I do eat lots of salad. I'll never grow enough lettuce to, to, to cover what I eat in a day. Okay, it's fun to do. And a few herbs, you know, parsley, uh, cilantro, both very good uh, for cancer. Um, I'll throw those in my salads and different foods. And, and it's just a great pastime. So, you know, it's kind of like getting back to nature, so to speak, uh, which is also another great therapy. Yeah. So you've, you've focused on the food. Would you classify yourself at all a certain type of eater? Are you like, do you feel that you are like a paleolithic or do you feel like you're a vegetarian or are you just doing what you feel works well for you? I've been through a, a, a gamut of, <laughs> in, in all the years, uh, it would have been mostly vegan. I do find for me, maybe I just don't do it right, but I found it difficult to get enough protein, I would find my voice would get weak. And I, I've, I've been to a number of natural paths and, I, and, and, a, and a couple of, well, I've got my doctors, but a number of natural paths also. And 
you know, you do have to have an, a certain amount of protein. It's difficult uh, on, on a vegan diet. You really have to eat lots of lentils and beans and, and split peas and, and, and it's all great, but it's just difficult to get enough. So I, I have added, I've gone back now, actually interesting, I'm definitely never paleo, but um, vegan and at the moment, uh, probably leaning towards ketogenic okay, yeah. keto diet, which, which does allow... I think 15 to 20% of your calories protein. I'm not strict with the numbers, but uh, mostly again, not big on fruits a little bit, which I was previously big on lots of fruits. Um, so the ketogenic diets, uh, a little bit of fruit, but lots of vegetables, lots of cruciferous vegetables. Uh, that's my version anyway. Mm -hmm. um, get away from the breads. And the, it, it's interesting. And one of the reasons I've gone to it, I was thinking back to when I did so well at Chartwell's in that four month span when, when everything disappeared and, uh, my PSA went down to 2.4, but I looked back at how I was eating and I, I couldn't get out of bed. So they were serving me, but I could order my food. I would have a, you know, the, the senior size bowls of oatmeal in the morning. So I was able to get two of them. <laughs> uh, but after that it was salads, salads, salad, great big salad for lunch, huge plate of salad for lunch. And on top of that, Lynn would come and make me another one. So I would have actually two salads. And then at dinner, another great big salad and maybe some fish or a piece of chicken and mostly fish. And so I thought, you know what, why not go back to that? Because as soon as I came home, I got back into having my sandwiches and starts with the breads. And, you know, cancer is um, cancer likes sugar, likes glucose and carbohydrates turn to glucose. Our body runs on glucose. Keto diet tries to get your body to get into a ketosis state and and where you use fat to burn your energy for energy you burn fat for energy uh, so now i'm eating lots of avocados and and lots of fish and and again my big salads are back and and uh, so that's what i am right now uh, it'll it'll be a trade-off between vegan and ketogenic but i expect to be on this for a while I really like the fact that you're trying different things. I, I've messed around a lot with diet over the years uh, because, you know, in, a, in addition to being diabetic where, you know, you do have to watch the carb intake. Yes. Uh, I started to develop stomach issues, digestion issues, uh, not being able to just digest food properly. I'm now permanently on, uh, you know, enzymes uh, for the time being because I had spent so long with naturopaths trying to figure out exactly what was going on. And as you are probably well aware of, naturopaths and medical doctors do not play well together. Usually it's because of the medical, in my experience, again, I'm not a professional either, but in my experience, it's been the resistance from the medical side of things to see the naturopathic doctor as a doctor, uh, which I have my own personal issues with. But that being said, what I've done is I've flowed in and out of trying different ways of eating at different times and taking into account if as many factors as we can, because I'm sure that you could probably speak to this as well. It's really hard to take into account all the factors that are going on when you're putting stuff into your body. Like you really have to be able to listen to your body. Yes, yes, yes. It's crucial to listen to your body. It'll, it'll tell you. It's interesting. I, I like the naturopathic route. Um, I, I don't disagree with seeing the doctors either. There's a, there's a place for that too. The medical profession does a fabulous job with uh, with critical care. And if you're in a car accident, that's the place to go. When it comes to disease, I'm going to say no. In my experience, I don't think they're 
methods. Well, just look at the methods that they use. Uh, my sister passed away in 1984 from breast cancer, and she pretty much had the same offers that I had, uh, surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. Now, perhaps there's better forms of chemotherapy. To me, chemotherapy is a poison developed from mustard gas. That's where it first started, but that's a whole other issue. I don't have cancer because I don't have chemotherapy in my body. I don't have cancer because I don't have radiation in my body. Actually, we know from various events in the world that radiation causes cancers and kills people. Uh, so I, you know, and I don't agree with cutting body parts out. I believe we're given these body parts for a reason and we need them and you know, I want to keep them. <laughs> so uh, that's my own personal opinion and having watched other people take the conventional way and, and not win the battle, I thought, what have I got to lose? Well, I mean, you, you took your, your shot and I think for the most part, the evidence speaks for itself. I mean, you're here today. One of the things that we talked about before was uh, state of mind. I mean, you have done things in order to address the physical side of things, eating better, paying attention to what's going into your body, paying attention to what not to put into your body mm -hmm. for your benefit. Mm -hmm. But you also have this, it was described, you described it to me in a conversation you had with another friend of yours who is going through cancer as well as this, uh, this bounce back spirit, this ability to be able to look at the bright side of things, but also probably a stubbornness. I can, I can uh, associate with that, but yeah. you just seem like you have a very strong will as well. How much of the mental side of things do you think has contributed to you being here today, being able to talk to me? I think it's crucial. I think it's crucial. You must, must, must have a, have a, uh, have a strong mind and a strong will to live. You have to want to live. Uh, and, and I don't care what you're dealing with, you have to make that choice. And it's maybe one of the first things a person with this diagnosis or any diagnosis um, should do is sit down and, and talk to themselves. What do I wanna do? Do, do I wanna let this ruin, uh, rule my life or do I wanna be the ruler of my life? And, and I'm a very persistent person, I believe, in most things, and, and uh, <clears throat> that's just my nature. I'm a Taurus, uh, which who, who they can call stubborn, but I like to say persistent. <laughs> uh, it's all in the words, right? It's all in the words. Uh, I, I don't like to give up. I definitely don't believe in giving up, and I'm not going to give up. So, yes, I think, I think that's a very big factor in survival, definitely. Uh, you know, and it's not just diet either. Uh, I also take some supplements. And again, you have to have that will to live. I truly believe in a, in a, in a higher power. So I think there's a, um, anybody that's successful might actually understand that there's a, a law of attraction. And if you start believing and start thinking about it and start understanding that there's, there's, things out there that can help us on this journey, whatever, whatever it is, uh, things will start coming to you. It's, it's incredible actually how, how things work out. I, you know, the more and more I experience different things, the more and more I have to admit that the more open you are, the more likely things are going to fall your way. I don't know what that is just yet. I mean, I've yeah. struggled with that for a long time. I grew up Catholic, yep. uh, but I'm not, I'm not religious. Right. Um, I don't necessarily believe in the hardcore spiritual side of things, but I'm also not dismissive of the fact that there's clearly things out there that we just can't explain yeah. and don't understand that are much bigger than us. And yeah. Hey, maybe we'll get it the next time around, or maybe we'll get it after this experience. I don't really know, but 
I, I, all I know is being open to possibilities is going to expose you to things a hell of a lot more than being closed off thinking you know everything. Absolutely. There's no doubt. There is no longer any doubt in my mind that there is something out there. You know, every religion has their name for it. We can call it God. I was born and raised a Catholic also, not practicing, of course, but you call it God or other, other religions have a different term, but, but for, you know, we're not, I don't think we're supposed to understand what's out there or what, what comes next. I think the whole idea is to have this experience and then we go to the next dimension, whatever, whatever that might be. You know, I said to a friend the other day, I, I have a strong, strong belief and I'm think I'm getting more in tune with it every day. To me, it's like Wi-Fi. can't touch it or feel it, but it's there. Interesting. Like it's like turning your 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 you're sitting in your car and you change the radio station. Well, all you did was move the dial, but you changed the frequency, and the other one doesn't exist at the moment. You're you're back onto this station, and it's just a frequency. So it's interesting. I think it's an interesting study, which has done a little bit of that too. But uh, I, I truly believe there's another dimension or another. Yeah. I mean, what, what, uh, let's explore that a little bit more because I am curious to know what are you thinking at this point in time? What, what do you think is, um, not necessarily the answer? Cause I, I agree with you. I don't think we need to know the answer, but what do you think is out there? What are your thoughts and opinions on that? Well, um, I, again, we can, I don't know. I don't really know. My thoughts are that there's definitely a higher power. When I use the term God, that's great, but there's a higher power that we can be in touch with and in tune with. Uh, so maybe call it a, a consciousness that maybe we can all tap into. I believe we all can tap into it. There's no doubt in my mind. I, 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 I believe we could even become telepathic if we, if people might say this guy's crazy, but uh, I believe if we allow ourselves to be in tune, it, it, it's amazing how many times I'll look at my phone and say, uh, oh, I wonder what, what somebody's doing and I'll get a text in five minutes especially Lynn, who, who were very close. And when you're really close to somebody, you tend to be in tune and frequencies maybe match. I don't know how it works, but it's interesting. So I believe there's a higher power out there. I, I don't know how it works. I can't explain it. I just believe in it. I like it. You know, it's interesting because uh, coincidences being what they are, I, I have no idea how to explain them. I mean, I spent so much of my life trying to explain away a lot of different things because mm -hmm. there are things that are easily easier to explain than others. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that I find interesting, though, is that if you are spending so much time explaining away things, you're missing so much of the nuance. Right. And, you know, if you're connected with somebody and something ends up happening, it, it does make sense if you're open to it, that yep. there's something either guiding that or directing it. But at the end of the day, what does it even really matter if if, if you're closed off? Right. Then you're not receiving any of that information. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. If you're open to these experiences and, and open to these ideas, then you can be diagnosed with the catastrophic lethal disease yep. and you, you could crush under that you could. or you yep. could go your own route, choose your own path and be open to, to possibilities, which it absolutely. sounds like that's, that's where you kind of rest. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I uh, well, I, I do rest in that camp. I, I, uh, I don't believe in the coincidences, as we said earlier, I think everything happens for a reason. We may not know what it is and we may not understand it at the time, but, um, I think everything does happen for a reason, even if it's just a learning experience to say, hey, you know, you've gotten off track. So this unfortunate thing happened. So get back on track, you know, uh, 
these things didn't happen when you were doing what you feel like you should be doing. There's lots, so many things happen. I, I just can't explain it. But in coincidences, I, I just don't believe in coincidences. Two words come to mind that you're talking about. One is faith. And the other one, which I think is actually right on par with faith and maybe just from a different point of view is acceptance. Yes. I right? like the term faith. I like the term yeah. faith a lot. I have a very, I, I say I have a very strong faith um, in that, in that higher consciousness, in that higher power. Uh, it's, there's no doubt in my mind. Um, I uh, have conversations with that constantly. <laughs> I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, going and going through what you have gone through, if you didn't have faith, I don't know if you would have been able to weather most of the storms that you have gone through. You have to have, you have to have faith. You have to have a strong will and you have to have faith and, and, it, and they tie in. It's crucial. You, you have to want to live. You have to understand why you're here or, or think you understand why you're here. I don't know why I'm here, but we're here. Uh, it's an experience. I have a strong faith. I just don't know how to explain it. I wish I could. And I don't think we're supposed to be able to explain it. I think that's why the word faith is, that's, that's the definition. You can't explain it. It's just, you have to believe in it. I like it, but let's go back again, a couple of steps before we were talking. And you said that if somebody is in a situation like this, they kind of do have to sit down and really make peace and make priorities to, to why they want to fight this fight. Can you pinpoint anything in particular or maybe like a broad outline as to what gave you the strength to fight this? That's a good question. And I, and I, um, I was still a young man. I was 45 years old. Uh, I consider that young and being 62 now. I can't pinpoint any one thing that I wanted to live for. I just wanted to keep living. I was enjoying life and I wanted to keep enjoying life. And, you know, there's nothing like a beautiful sunny day and Go play golf, go for a walk, go hang out at the beach, whatever you want to do, go sailing. But the, the life's just fun and it should be fun. And so I just want, I didn't want it to end at, at that early stage. Uh, I was hoping to get another 30 or 40 years anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all you really need though, right? You don't need to be, it doesn't need to be like a goal that you want to strive towards. You just loved life and you didn't want it to end. That's as good a reason as any I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you're, yeah. <laughs> and you're right. And it's funny. It's funny. You know, um, my golf got better, uh, sort of. My performance got better. I won a couple of fairly good sized tournaments after my diagnosis that I was unable wow. to finish off before my diagnosis. Maybe I played more. Uh, I had a, had a very good boss and a very understanding boss who who encouraged me to go play a little bit more golf. So, so that helped, you know, you get a different mindset too. Uh, you know, you, you, you're told you're not going to live much longer than you start deciding what's really important. And, you know, somebody flipping you the bird driving down the road, isn't important. Uh, I don't care. I'm sorry. Whatever his problem is, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, things happen. That's life. You, you roll with the punches and you get up and enjoy the good things and, and try not to let the bad things stress you out, get you down, turn negative. Um, you know, there's, again, talk about another health issue. You've got to get rid of stress as best as you can. We all have little stresses, of course, but then there's the ingrained stress that comes from childhood. Things might have happened in your youth that you've never really forgiven yourself for or forgiven other people for or, or, uh, or recovered from in whatever way. It's important to deal with those issues too. Um, not sure I have completely, but uh, don't know. <laughs> Some of them are hidden. Some of them are hidden. They're so, they're so deep in your memory, you don't remember. You almost need one of those, uh, somebody to put you to sleep and come up with the hypnosis route. Diagnosis, yeah. Yeah, hyp <laughs> yeah, hypnotist. yeah the, uh, 
the traumas that we face in a lifetime. I, I don't know that I don't believe at this point in time for me personally, the traumas that happened before I'm on this planet. I know that there is a strong belief in that. I can't say that I'm at that point, but I definitely do believe in, you know, life is full of uh, wins and losses mm-hmm. uh, and, and neutrals, um, which I think is actually often overlooked. Uh, yeah. But the traumas, if you don't get down to them, they do have a way of coming back in destructive ways. And before you know it, you're a person you don't want to be and you don't know why. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, I'm, I'm conscious of, my actions every minute of every day. Now, I'm a human being. Obviously, uh, we make errors and mistakes and say things we shouldn't say, do things we shouldn't do sometimes. And you just you deal with it, say you're sorry and get on with life. And attitude's important. Attitude and something that I'm really trying to, something I'm aware of uh, anyways, not, not trying to get rid of because I think it's a part of us anyways, yeah. is the, the ego, right? Yes. Just because so tied up in your own self-image and your own ideas of the way things should be that you can't bring yourself to do exactly what you're saying. If you make a mistake, apologize, just own it. But once, once you do embrace that, I find it's a hell of a lot easier to let it go Absolutely. after that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Like I'm not saying I'm not saying be be a maniac and go out there and like crash into people and then say sorry and <laughs> you're automatically absolved. No, 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 no. But 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 the the concept is 100% correct in my opinion. I mean, no, to me, the strongest force in the world's love. So if you Agreed. use that, if you use that with everything you do, you know, we can call it the golden rule. If you want to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but if you do everything all your actions are done out of love in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you're going to do the right thing most of the time. Selfishness, we're all selfish. Let's, let's face it, that's the way it is. You know, we want to have a good life. We want to make lots of money. We want to have a great career. We want to be the, the best at what we do. Um, it's built into our DNA, man. It's built into our DNA. There's no question about that. But, but you can do all of those things in a good way. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's some terrific successful people that are coming to my mind at the moment, but, uh, and they're exactly like that. They're just good people doing what they love to do and, and working hard. I totally agree with that. I think that's so interesting because over the years I've had a lot of conversations with people and, and this inner struggle with myself in determining where religion falls into this experience of life. Uh, as we talked about, we both, we both grew up Catholic, uh, but we don't, we don't practice. And, all of the things that we're saying that we like in terms of faith and love and golden rule, all that stuff, there is some religion tied into that a little bit. But the thing that really seems to then veer off is when religion starts to take itself so serious that it's the only solution out there. Like there's no possible way any other belief out there can be on the same level as them. And that's where religion really, for me, falls apart and I, I just can't believe in it. I, I just, to me, to me, the term religion or an organized religion is a man-made thing. And I don't really want that part of uh, the faith business. I know they, they do a lot of, they do a lot of good things, but history has shown there's some not so good in there too, in all of the religions. So I, yeah, they're man-made and I don't, I don't perceive that as the direction I want to I want to follow. I want to follow uh, again that 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 law of attraction of a higher power that's out there that that's available to everybody if you're open to it. And and I think 
you have to work at it. You can't just say, okay, I'm open to it. I'm here. And it, it's not the way it works. And it, nobody actually talks to you. Things just start to happen. Thoughts come into your head. But religion itself, I find, is, is personal opinion, just a man-made thing that um, just didn't have a lot of success with. Can't pinpoint any one thing. I mean, I was an altar boy when I was 10. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, by the time I was a teenager, I didn't go to church anymore. I just, Decided I wanted to sleep in on Sunday morning. So I guess a teenager, but <laughs> much to my mother's chagrin, but that's that's the way it was. So. Let's get off the religious train for a moment. I think you and I are in, uh, I think we're in, in sync with that and in, in our in our beliefs there, uh, which is pretty cool. But other, so we've changed your diet. Okay. Yep. So we've gone through, we've changed your diet. Uh, we have addressed your state of mind, uh, how important it is to have a desire to live and not for any one particular thing, just for the, th and I, I want to really highlight that, Brian, because that's amazing. You wanted to live for the sake of living. Yeah. To me, there is no pure form of wanting to live and that's beautiful. So I want to kind of personally thank you for bringing that to the forefront. That's really nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's go to supplements. Uh, you had mentioned a few times, you know, protein shakes, supplements, you've, you've even mentioned different treatments. I'm wondering how they all work, how they all kind of tie together and uh, what your overall feeling at this point in time has been with some of the alternative, I don't want to call them medicines, but I'm sure that some people would, uh, treatments that you've been taking for uh, on a supplement level. Yeah, I think, I think. Personally, I think all of the things I tried are very good, and I don't know if there's any one particular uh, therapy that's for everybody. Everybody's got to kind of feel their way around and, and do what works for them. Uh, um, I take uh, a lot of vitamin D, D3. I take K2, which goes with, with D3. They both kind of work together. Uh, they also help with uh, the uh, assimilation of of uh, calcium. So it helps my bones a little bit. The vitamin K does. I was taking a lot more. That's about it at the moment. But I add things into the smoothies that are, you know, heavy in vitamin C, like camu camu is a great example. It's a berry, but apparently it's got an abundance of vitamin C and vitamin C in itself is a naturopathic therapy for cancer. Very expensive one, but uh, it does work for a lot of people. Uh, I have eaten uh, apricot kernels quite a bit, which uh, our government is trying to, maybe I shouldn't say that, but uh, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no quieting us. We're just a little <laughs> podcast. Say anything you want. <laughs> well, okay. So there's a video called A World Without Cancer by G. Edward Griffin, who also wrote the book uh, Creature from Jekyll Island, which is about the Federal Reserve. Uh, very interesting. Um, but uh his research, and he's an, he's an investigative reporter, G. Edward Griffin, in a terrific video. Uh, he talks about amygdalin or vitamin B17, it could be referred to, which is in seeds, a lot of seeds, most seeds, but an abundance of it in apricot kernels. Canada, and you, there was a, a drug at one time called Laetrile. Laetrile, I can't tell you what year it was developed, but... Uh, it was working against cancer. Uh, it is illegal now in the United States and Canada. You have to go to Mexico to get Laetrile treatment. Uh, but apricot kernels happen to have an abundance of vitamin B17 or amygdalin or 
laetrile, whatever, it's all the same thing. You have to take a lot of them. You have to eat a lot of them. They're quite bitter. But uh, so I was buying these packages. Health Canada says don't eat more than three because there's, it could be detrimental to the human body. There's cyanide in them. The cyanide actually only attacks cancer cells. It's quite an interesting plant world is actually amazing uh, when you think about it. But uh, mm -hmm. there's four components. G. Edward Griffin describes it beautifully in his videos. But uh, one of them is cyanide, but it does only attack attack cancer cells. Uh, so I was eating at one time, and that was one of the times when my PSA went down, I was eating 60 or 70 a day. Which mm -hmm. But uh, Health Canada says don't eat more than three. Uh, but my PSA dropped. Uh, but for some reason, and I don't know why I stopped eating 70 or 80 a day, they don't taste very good. They're not very appetizing for me. So I find that difficult uh, to eat that many in a day. But I am getting back to that. I'm going to go up to probably 30 and uh, we'll see what happens. Those types of therapies are often suppressed. You don't see them on the mainstream channels. You don't hear about them unless you go search. And once you start searching, again, things start to open up. You know, I think I mentioned to you, I read a book uh, called Cancer Step Outside the Box uh, by Ty Bollinger, who has his own website called The Truth About Cancer. Yes. And they're heavily, heavily censored. They're, you know, they can't go on YouTube anymore. They can't, uh, I don't know about Twitter, but Twitter's just as bad as YouTube. They, I mean, Facebook, they, they censor everything they do. And they have done a ton of research and, and talked to a multitude of doctors, uh, many naturopaths, but many medical doctors who have integrative therapies or, or holistic therapies. And, you know, it comes back to lifestyle almost every time. You must be willing to, to make changes. You know, it's, it's almost like being an alcoholic. It's no, there's no comparison, but you've got to be willing to change. Mm -hmm. And, and I think cancer is the same. You've got to, now cancer's probably for the most part caused by toxins and we're loaded with toxins in our world. It's in the water, it's in the air, it's in the soils, therefore in the foods. Uh, then you've got genetically modified foods, GMOs, uh, I try to avoid all of those things, but it's impossible. We're surrounded. Mm -hmm. You know, now you've got 5G, which is heavy in electromagnetic frequencies, also could be a factor in many cancers or diseases, uh, but the research gets suppressed uh, or, or nobody does it. Uh, but Laetrile uh, was one that I was, or not Laetrile, apricot kernels I was eating a lot of. I think they're a great one. Back to the supplements right now, it's basically vitamin D3 and K2, um, I, curcumin, very powerful. Plants are amazing. I talked to a herbalist in Montreal. She didn't want to work with me because I had taken the uh, hormone therapy, but she said, if you've gone that route, I can't help you. And I understand that completely. Some things just, they don't go, they don't work together. The Select, I think is a fabulous product, but it's extremely expensive. And, and, and I guess I can call it a supplement. I can't tell you exactly all the ingredients, but again, he's working towards building up the micronutrients in the body. And that's what it's you mentioned other therapies, the Gerson therapies. I did a lot of juicing, a ton of juicing. At one time on the Gerson therapy, I was doing 14 juices a day, carrot juice, vegetable juice, mostly leafy greens, uh, collar, uh, collard greens, kale, all of those things. Very powerful for nutrition. You're getting an abundance of nutrition quickly into your body. That's the whole idea of it. But in doing so, you've got to get rid of all that waste so, you know, they all right. talk about coffee enemas, the Gerson therapy is big on doing enemas. Uh, not very great to talk about, but, but 
Uh, hey, just just a natural process of it, though, right? Well, but it stimulates the liver. Actually, the coffee stimulates the liver and helps you release more bile and and get rid of the toxins. It's it's quite amazing, and it was actually in the medical journals up until about fifty years ago, uh, but it's gone now. <laughs> so there's a. I mean, Max Gerson did a fabulous job. It's a, his videos are you know they're they're quite old, but the information's amazing. It's really difficult to find good, useful information out there with uh, with the way, you know, big pharma is, you know, it, it is a trillion dollar industry. Um, it's got, it has a tremendous amount of power. Um, I, no, I personally don't disbelieve in all medicines. I believe that there are uses for sure. certain medicines. Absolutely. And, and we have done amazing things with medicine. However, you can't tell me that the way things have been done, been, have been done for thousands and thousands of years, there isn't any quality in that, you know, native culture, any cultures that you look at that have been relying heavily on the medicines from plants, uh, you know, it's worked a tremendous amount. So why can't we find a system that marries the holistic side of things with the medical side of things, the conventional, I guess, for lack of a better term, to come up with a cocktail that actually works for the individuals? Because the last time I checked, we are all different. We're all doing different things. You know, we're putting different things in our body, consuming different things. So as much as we're similar, you know, there's going to be intricacies that are going to be different from you and I, and you should be able to be free to explore those things without having to spend a small fortune mm. on something that might be more specific to you because money is a big issue. Money's a huge issue. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that the pharmaceutical industry is a tr trillion dollar industry. Uh, you don't get that way by uh, making people well. I've, presented this challenge to many, many people, show me one disease that the medical profession cures, not treats, cures. They treat all kinds of diseases, but how many do they actually cure? Please tell me one. Nobody's ever told me one. I guess polio is probably the closest thing that I can think of. And if you watch Dr. Suzanne, uh, Dr. Uh, Suzanne Humphreys, I believe her name is, uh, she's done a ton of research on polio. And that's another interesting, interesting story. Uh, how how the uh, the diagnosis and the timeline and and how just prior to that they were using DDT everywhere, mm. putting it on over children in pools and all kinds of stuff and the and the, uh, the symptoms of polio are similar to DDT poisoning and it, it's quite an interesting story and she interesting the timeline how the well, it gets into corruption, actually, but the timeline, how the, the Salk vaccine came out, but the polio was already going away, but they changed something in the timeline and made it look like it was all in the vaccine, when in reality, it probably was going away anyway. Interesting. But that is, I mean, anybody wants to research, there, there is, it's, it's hard to find now. It's getting more and more censored or suppressed, uh, but... Uh, I think it's Dr. Suzanne Humphrey's done a ton of research on that. And it's quite interesting. And well, it's, it, and, it, so, and it's easy to believe that stuff too, when you have proof now of the different things that the governments have done on the experiments that the governments have done on oh, people over the years. 
Absolutely. Right? Um, 50s, 60s, 70s, just rampant with experimentation on humans, right? Yep. Well, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure we should stop there, but. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some interesting ideas on that as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know, man. I, I know that we are at a point in time. Listen, we'll probably say some things here that are controversial. That's okay. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we um, exterminate people. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. The interesting thing that I do find about, you know, certain atrocities that have taken place in our human existence, there has been some research that has actually surfaced because of that in a streamlined fashion, something that would have taken us probably hundreds of years that we found out in a shorter time span, you know, to going right to the source. I don't know how you do that in an ethical manner. That's the problem that I have with it. Mm. Like you, you can't condone experimenting on people. But when it's people that you're trying to better, I mean, shouldn't it make sense to go to the source? I don't know, man. I don't know where to go with that. Well, yeah, I, I don't either. Um, I, you know, sticking with the, <laughs> with the <laughs> I got, I got you, I got you spurred there. Eh? Well, I, I, I think it's corrupt. I think they're all, I think there's so much corruption. It's rampant and mm-hmm. you know, the politicians take care of themselves uh, they're, they're funded by the corporations, uh, big farmers, the biggest lobby group there is in both Washington and Ottawa. You know, I've always said pharmaceutical companies should not be publicly traded companies. If they were non if they were for a nonprofit, we might start seeing cures, but you don't, if you start curing people, they stop showing up. The best thing for business is repeat customers. So, uh, I can't cure you or, or you're not going to come back anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pharmaceutical industry, they actually changed actually the education system. Uh, homeopathy back in the early 1900s was the most prominent method of, of uh, healing. But they, they were able to, through, through a fellow by the name of Flexner, who did a big report, they were able to get into the universities, get people on the boards of directors and help fund certain things and, and change the curriculum and how people were taught and, and the medical profession, uh, the American medical profession, AMA in particular, was in dire straits and needed money. Carnegie and Rockefeller bailed them out. And you can see where I'm leading with this. To me, uh, and I think I told you in an earlier, when we talked earlier, Dr. Lorraine Day had cancer. She's a Cal- doctor in California in the 90s, and she cured herself of breast cancer on the Gerson therapy. She doesn't call it the Gerson therapy. She has her own therapy, but it's basically the Gerson therapy. But when I watched a number of her videos and, audio and, and, and audios, and one of the things that she said, which got me and has kept me persistent in this endeavor was until you understand that you are being lied to and almost everything that you're given information on mainstream is a lie you're not going to be able to get through this you have hmm. to understand that they're not they're suppressing the truth which is vote in your backyard with with a garden and vegetables and 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 calm down your life a little bit and go to bed at a good hour not two in the morning you know 9 30 10 o'clock when you when your body wants to sleep and that's when you get your best deepest sleep and your best healing sleep between 10 p.m and 2 a.m after that, you've lost that. You don't, sleeping in doesn't help. You never, you never get as good a rest. But I you know I get off on these tangents, but uh, it all comes back to corruption and money. You follow the money. 
And, you know, it's the same with, uh, with what we're experiencing in our world right now. Everybody says we're in this pandemic. Well, maybe we are. I'm not convinced. Um, I, I, maybe that's, well, that is going to be controversial. But, you know, I've watched, uh, I think he was the vice president of research at Pfizer, former vice president of research at Pfizer. He's retired, but he's, and he's not, a, he's not against, he's not what they would label an anti-vaxxer, which I hate those terms, but. He said, this is not a vaccine you should be taking. So did he have any reasons as to why he felt that way? Did he present anything? Yeah, it's well, the mRNA is genetically modifying. So they're actually trying to change your DNA. They're actually going to change your DNA and try and create an immune response is what they're saying. Whether or not that's what actually happens, we'll, we'll see. I don't think the body's going to be that um, receptive to that. Um, I don't know enough about the scientific details, but to me, I just, I'm still not convinced that there's uh, a serious enough pandemic to have to worry about shutting everybody in their homes and locking businesses down and, and creating more problems. You know, like they say, the cure is worse than the disease. And, and I'm not, I'm not convinced. So then let me ask you this, because this is a, this has been an ongoing conversation that I've had with, with several people about, you know, the current state of COVID and, you know, the government's involvement at different levels. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around what the benefits would be uh, in terms of, let's say, creating a pandemic where there isn't, saying that there's a fire when, when there isn't even any smoke. So who benefits from this current circumstance? Because the way that I'm looking at it right now is that like everybody is suffering in terms of, of what's been happening over the past year and a half. Um, from government deficits, which I understand, you know, are multi-level and multifaceted anyways, all the way down to the little guys like, uh, like us, like me. Right. So who's benefiting from, from this, if it's not true. Okay. Uh, in your opinion, of course, in your, yep. in your opinion. Yes. I, I, I don't know. Um, speculation and, uh, uh, I watch a lot of different videos, a couple of financial ones and, one of them, he, he points to the Federal Reserve. He said, follow the money, follow the money. So what's, what's happening? You mentioned our government debt. Who's the debt to? Who's the U.S. debt? Who's, who's owed that money? Uh, well, China, right, I guess, in terms uh, of... No, 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 no. The Federal Reserve okay. is spending 40 to, I think it's 40 billion a day buying up the U.S. debt. And they've lent money to other central banks, like the Bank of Canada is one of them, and they're buying the debt. So the central banks eventually will basically own everything. Uh, if you've ever read George Orwell's 1984, yeah, and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, uh, very similar. That's the dystopian world that, that we're very close to being at, where, where uh, you have the haves and the have-nots and nobody in between. Look at the Georgia Guidestones, which is another interesting story. Uh, they were erected in the 80s, I believe, kind of in a similar way to Stonehenge. And, you know, they talk about the ideal population of the world being 500 million people and to maintain it at that level uh, forever. So, you know, are there psychopaths at the top running things? Possibly. I, I don't know. I think, I think there are, personally. Just looking... You know, I, I, all my doubt was created through the cancer industry. Why isn't there a cure for cancer? Why aren't we addressing the causes of cancer? Why, aren't, why are we putting stuff in the soils like, like uh, glyphosate, which is in Roundup? 
known to be a carcinogen. They, I go to Canadian Tire, it's on the shelf. Why is that allowed? I don't know. But it's, you know, Monsanto has lost billions of dollars in lawsuits over this. They hid the evidence. They knew it was a carcinogen. They hid the evidence. The, crumpet, the corruption's rampant. So is it, is it a handful of people like James Bond? They want to control the world? I don't know. Is it population control? Possibly. Again, I don't know. Um, but I'm very suspicious. You know what, Brian? I think I kind of want to end it there. And the okay. reason why I do is not because I don't want to hear about the conspiracy side of things because I'm fascinated with that, but it's because of something that you just said, your, your doubt in this has been created because of your experience with cancer. Yes. That's what brought us here today was yes. your journey. Yes. Um, I, I love the fact that you tied it to your own personal experience. I mean, I've talked to people out there that, that do have the tinfoil hats on and do, you know, scream bloody murder that, you know, government's trying to take everything with no real proof or no real experience, but you have a real experience and that has led you to doubt things for good reason. Yes. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Max Gerson was curing people in his clinics in New York and he was shut down by the FDA or whoever was the power at that time, I believe the FDA. Uh, Dr. Royal Rife was doing uh, research with frequencies and his theory was that uh, there's tiny microbes inside cancer cells that with a vibration, they die, literally, literally explode. And then you, your cancer cells go back to normal. He was shut down and actually escaped to Mexico. He was in fear of his life. Uh, Leotrell, why, why was Leotrell banned in Canada and the United States uh, for years now? And it was working. There's a clear evidence that it was working. You can get it in Mexico, um, but why should we have to drop, travel to Mexico for these things? There's another doctor, same thing. Um, his clinic's still alive in Mexico. I can't remember the name of it offhand. I'm sorry, or his name, but same thing. His, his office was raided, his files taken from him. Anytime something works, you take it away. It appears that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and we go back to the very expensive chemotherapies, radiations, and surgeries, and any form of those is still the same thing. There's now immunotherapy, which, is, uh, which, makes, which, which makes more sense that you're trying to boost the immune system, but chemotherapy and radiation suppress the immune system. So it doesn't make any sense how the same medical profession has opposite therapies, whereas a natural path is going to do everything they can to get your body's immune system stronger and stronger and stronger and give it the ability to destroy cancer or any other disease. So for me, I, I, I just found it interesting that the medical profession does not have a clear cut answer for why, ask them what causes cancer. Do they, do they have an answer for that? Clearly evidence shows that it's toxicity. What's changed in our world? You know, you know, sure, cancer's always existed, but not one in three or two or three people. Whereas now it's one or two or three people will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their life. Uh, it wasn't that way a hundred years ago. You know, so Fred Eichhorn, going back to the select product, he says, I promote the 1899 diet. And that was before toxins and before all of the additives, food additives, uh, giving different drugs to animals to make them grow bigger and stronger putting stuff in the soils, different, uh, spraying all the food with pesticides. I've always thought, you know, if something gets sprayed on a plant and it kills the bugs, doesn't it eventually harm us too? 
Mm-hmm. At some point, I have to say, if you eat enough of it, maybe maybe not a little bit, but there's no little bit of poison that I want in my body. So for me, that's all raised a lot of doubt in the status quo, the, the conventional way of looking at things. And and honestly, when I look at politicians, uh, you know, the old saying, how do you know a politician's lying? His mouth is moving. But everybody's believing them right now. But who, who how do they get elected? They get elected through corporate money. Our present prime minister has had two or three scandals already with big corporations. And, you know, it, it comes down to the money. You know, it really does. I'm suspicious. I, I, I don't take things. Uh, I try and read between the lines and, and I, I look for what makes sense to me. And in general, what I've seen in the last year and a half don't make sense to me. I haven't seen anyone die yet. I know people have died and God rest their soul. And, and that's, it's, that's a terrible thing. But there's many, many doctors saying that they were pressured into putting COVID-19 on the death certificate when this person had two or three other comorbidities that were likely the cause of death or certainly could have been. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of doctors saying that, not one or two. There's thousands. You don't hear about them. Uh, America's frontline doctors, they tried to put out a video and they got slammed on social media. Uh, one of the doctors got carried away and maybe was the wrong person to be the spokes, one of the spokespeople, but, but uh, there was a lot of good doctors there, many, and, and they're still around. They're still there. There's the Great Barrington Declaration out of Europe. A number of doctors signed it, and they said these lockdowns and everything is going against what they believe is the right way to handle these things. You know, the, the people that have died, the vast majority, and I know I'm going back to the COVID thing, sorry, but... That's okay. <laughs> The vast majority are elderly and, and frail and, and likely sick. Any, I don't want to belittle it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a sensitive subject, but, you know, a 95-year-old passing away from something, is it COVID? Is it something else? I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. But at the very least, it has you thinking based on, on what you've gone through and what you've researched on, on your end. There's no doubt in my mind that that, that, that there's a lot of suspicion in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. In the cancer industry in itself, you know, I, I mentioned that my sister passed away in 1984. So how many years ago is that? 40 something, mm-hmm. almost 50 years ago. And, and you know, are they doing a better job? I guess we have to say they're probably doing a better job, but but why isn't the answer just out there? You know, cancer is not a big deal. Just Just take this, do that. There should be an answer by now. If Richard Nixon, who declared a war on cancer, I think it was Richard Nixon or Reagan, one of them, billions and trillions of dollars have been spent on research and and why don't we have cures? Yeah, I think people have been asking that question for a long time, right? I mean, if if we have been been pouring all this money and research and time into it and the things that we're able to do, it seems interesting to most people that we Mm -hmm. haven't been able to come up with something. Yeah. Uh, and the only thing that seems to be considered a cure when it comes to cancer is remission, which I, I mean, I'm sure that it's relief, but that doesn't sound like a cure to me. Well, but, but remission is just the body state. Uh, what, what caused exactly what caused the remission, you know, yeah. uh, that's a debatable subject of course, but I'm not a believer in the, in, and here I am, I'm, I'm a hypocrite right now because I'm on hormone therapy, but I'm hoping to get off of it in a few months. We'll see. But I just think there's got to be a better way than, than what we're presented. 
And the medical profession uses fear, as we've seen in the last year and a half, an abundance of fear come out of our televisions. Cases, cases, cases. They don't, you know, let's look at what other disease have we talked about cases. If we talk about cancer, there's multitudes more cases of cancer and certainly more deaths than a year. But what's being done? I know there's lots of billions of dollars put into research and lots of people are doing great things, donating for that. And that's terrific. But Unfortunately, I think the pharmaceutical industry controls the medical profession, and therefore you're not going to see cures. You're going to see treatments, but not cures. I don't think that you're alone in saying something like that. I think I've been hearing people saying that all my life that, yeah, uh, sure. you know, our society, our, our, you know, Western culture is not about cures. It is about treatments. It is about, you know, the return clients, uh, return customers, right? Absolutely. It's, it's a built-in revenue stream Absolutely. Uh, for, for a lot of the cases. So I don't think you're saying anything there that most people wouldn't agree with. Yeah. I think where people feel most handcuffed is, is like you said, you feel like you're a hypocrite, hypocrite but when you don't have a choice, yeah. when you only have so many resources at your disposal, you do have to take... And, and maybe there is some benefit in there in taking a little bit from here and a little bit from there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that's a great point. So I'm using the conventional as a last resort. So sure, I had surgery early on, again, very reluctantly. It's a lonely place when you're, when you're the only person around you that doesn't believe in. I had people say, are you nuts? Do you have a death wish? What's the matter with you? Uh, when I finally decided to go for surgery, somebody said, so you finally came to your senses, all kinds of things, right? But you need some support, which would have, had I had a little bit more support, I did have somebody that was quite supportive, but you need maybe a, a group. Or, but uh, uh, <laughs> type 1 diabetes, is there a cure? Is there a cure for type 1 diabetes? The only thing that I've ever heard of that whispers in the background all the time is stem cell research, stem right. cell research, stem cell research, stem cell research, rebuild the pancreas. Right. And that now seems to be coming up. You're hearing ads about stem cells now, which is interesting to me, but it just seems like, I don't know why the hell we weren't exploring this stuff years ago. So it falls into the same category as these things that have been plaguing our existence since we can remember cancer, diabetes, these types of types of things have been around for a long time. And the cost of, of uh, equipment and supplies for diabetics is not cheap either. There's tons of stuff out there that people are like, you know, they're, they, they need these things to survive yeah. um, because there's no other solutions out there. There's nobody that's hacking the you know body in order to recreate that pancreas right uh, at this point in time so you have to make do with what you have so it's i agree with you man like it's yeah. it's disheartening yeah it is and and you know i i don't know a lot about type one so you know i can't even speak to it other than i know that there aren't any cures mm -hmm. i do know a little bit about type two and i do know that it's almost completely lifestyle related which is a lot different than type one, which is more mm -hmm. at birth or childhood, certainly early childhood. Uh, I was actually diagnosed later on in life, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It was just one of those things that, that ended up taking place, but uh, either yeah. way. Yeah. Once that pancreas is dead, it's dead. So, so Fred Eichhorn who developed, uh, who, who was an architect and quite an interesting story. He developed the select product. And his research, he was a uh, 
an architect at first, but he did have some medical training. He actually, I believe, trained to become a surgeon, but he, he kind of got out of it quite quickly. But he was able to, uh, he can't say for sure, but he's got, I think, three or four siblings. So he had pancreatic cancer. His sister had the same cancer. She ended up passing away, but the other two siblings had no form of cancer. So he said, you know, he throws genetics out the window. He said there's very, very, very few cancers are actually genetic. But he, he was able to go back to when his mother was pregnant and she was given a certain drug for, his, for when he was in the womb and when his sister was in the womb, but not when the other two siblings were in the, room, in the womb. And he was able to trace that drug to be carcinogenic. And he believes that that's why he developed cancer at a young age. And he was only in 20 or 21. I don't know what else to say about it. Type, you know, there's so much out there. <laughs> you know what? I think, uh, I think what I would say at this point in time is what you've done for yourself, educating yourself, uh, looking for, you know, outside alternative ways of doing things incorporating the conventional way in whether it's just for the sake of not having another option or not having another choice. I think it's benefited you. I mean, at this point in time, I'm looking forward to doing this again with you in another year or two to find out what's going on then and see if you've actually finally started to pull the trigger and getting that book done because, uh, (laughs) and, and by, by all means, if anybody out there is interested in sitting down with Brian and, and kind of chatting with him and getting a book on the go, I would love to, I would love to see that. I'd like to tell you one more story. You, you, yeah, please do. You kind of touched on, you just use the word native in one of your things, but uh, hmm. there's a tea called Essiac tea. So Essiac tea is a, a tea that's brewed from a number of herbs that are grown in Canada or in the Northern United States. Uh, a nurse in, uh, I want to, I want to, uh, I'm trying to think of it, what town she was, but it was Eastern Ontario anyway. But she was working for a doctor. There was a number of terminal cancer patients. She met, in, I believe it was an Ojibwe, for lack of a medicine man. And he gave her a recipe for a tea that he said will help your cancer patients. Uh, she asked the doctor if she could use it on the terminal patients. He said, sure, it's just a tea, different herbs. And an amazing success rate. Uh, the government of Canada tried to arrest her. She might've even spent some time in jail, but they certainly shut her down. They tried to accuse her of practicing medicine without a license, all kinds of things. Uh, her name was Renee Case. Essiac is case spelt backwards. And you can't really get the T anymore. There's a, I mean, you gotta be careful online and everything. There's a lot of fraud out there, um, but there is, there is a T that's very, very similar, put out by a company you can get in your health food stores. Uh, company's fluorescence. And, uh, but that's just another story of, of stopping people from helping people. You know, here's a nurse who had the okay from her boss, who was the doctor, a medical doctor, and, and literally helping people get well. And they said, you can't do this. Practicing medicine without a license. So, you know, you know, do I doubt the motive for a lot of what goes on in our world? Absolutely. I don't blame you. Uh, and, and after having the chance to sit down with you today and talk to you, uh, I can definitely say that you don't sound like a crackpot from my, in my opinion, uh, you sound like somebody who has, has gone on a bit of a journey and is still journeying, which is amazing. 
Um, and I think that you've given me and other people out there a lot of things to think about. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you very much. We've known each other for, uh, for a, a few weeks now. Yep. And for you to sit down with me for, you know, almost an hour and a half and, and open up like this and share your thoughts and ideas openly. I really appreciate that, Brian. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on and, and having a good chat. And uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. I hope to do it again.